Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TF Podcast. Today we're here with Smart for ECFC on Twitter. Um, so do you want to say hello? Uh, hey guys, I'm glad to be on the TF Podcast for episode 3, bring it back. Alright, so today um, we're just going to be, you know, looking at some questions that you guys have provided for us on Twitter. Um, so yeah, let's get straight into it. So SF, um, in terms of, obviously, you're a Chelsea fan, I'm a Man United fan. Um, both teams after Sancho, both sets of fans really want Sancho. Um, how would you, as a Chelsea fan, fit him into your squad if you were to get him? Yeah, so I think, obviously, you wanted to play him, you know, I'd say he has to be at the left wing. I think that's that's his best position. And I think, I know Chelsea have, you know, a lot of young, talented wingers. And I think, you know... Uh, Christian Pulisic, I really believe he has what it takes to, to play that attacking midfielder role. You know, I've seen him play it for the last five years of my life, you know, watching him play for the U.S. men's national team. He, he really thrives with the ball at his feet that often, and he can make a lot of space with it and make a lot of, and do a lot of work with it. So I don't, I'm not really worried about him. It's kind of the progression of Callum Hudson Adoy. That's kind of my biggest concern in that. One of him or Sancho is going to have to play on the right. And I know Sancho does play on the right now, and it's fine. But it, I know if you really want to elevate his game, the left wing is is where it's at. And Hudson Odoi has been playing right wing for you know two the last couple seasons as well, quite a few times. So I think you can definitely play him either way. But I'd personally put you know Sancho on the left and uh, Hudson Odoi on the right. Um. So. I think that, obviously, I agree that Sancho is better on the left, you know, it provides him with more angles. Um, but, and, you know, he's not necessarily bad on the right. It's just that when you have a player like Sancho, uh, a world-class talent, you know, you want to be playing him to the best of his ability. And in terms of how he would fit in that Man United, I'd also play him on the left. I think that we'd have a similar situation to Chelsea in which you would, we would play him on the left and move another player onto the right, which would most probably be, most probably, be Marcus Rashford. Um, I think, in all honesty, I think Solskjaer likes Rashford too much on the left wing to move him onto the right to facilitate for Sancho. So I could honestly see Sancho long-term and short-term being played on the right-hand side. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, the best choice would just to be putting Rashford on the right because you don't lose much of his game and by switching him from the left to the right and then putting Sancho on the left-hand side. What are your thoughts on that? No, I think, I definitely, yeah, like, I definitely get the same idea that, like, you know, Sancho's not bad player on the right. Like, look what he's done this season. Like, he's been phenomenal. It's just, like, yep. you know, when you when you look at it, like, the way, you look at it, you know, statistically and kind of, like, you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, you know, evaluate his, his, the player type he is on both wings, it's obvious that left wing is what would really suit him and really, you know, bring him to that next level, especially at, like, a top, top club in the Premier League. And, yeah, they get the same idea in that sense in that you'd want him on the left and that, you know, also 100%, I think Marcus Rashford, you know, I don't think he's, uh, like, left-wing dependent on being that great. Like, I think he's a quality player all the way around. So you could play him anywhere in a front three, and he's going to give you what you can expect every time. So, but however, like, did he... I'm not sure, like, where do you stand on... I know a lot of Manchester United fans want Sancho over everything else. Is that is that where you sit? Or is there some other areas that you'd want them to look into? 
I mean, yeah, I think for Manchester United specifically, I think the right wing issue is probably the biggest issue in the squad. I think we've been playing Dan James there, who was meant to be a squad player, um, and we don't have a right winger apart from him. So I think, yeah, it's definitely probably the most important issue to deal with in the in the summer window, whenever that happens. Yeah, it's really um, it's been a pleasant surprise, I'd say, for you guys that Fred's been so good because I think that saves you a lot of money in the midfield that a lot of people yeah. are expecting to have to had to put up cash for. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of the the players at Chelsea, um, do you think that they necessarily complement him? Um, complement you know a Jadon Sancho type player coming in to play either on the left or on the right? It's it's difficult. To say precisely, because I know a lot of what he thrives at is Dortmund is kind of that, you know, I wouldn't call it counterattack, but it's kind of that fast break mentality where, you know, they break down the lines, you know, bombing in from the wings, you know, making great passes, you know, making great moves and stuff like that. And I don't necessarily see Chelsea playing that, playing that way with the current squad they have. They just don't have the quality to really, you know, break down a team like that. I know, obviously, we spoke on this before on Twitter and stuff like that about, you know, the Bundesliga and how much space you get and things of that sort. But uh, it's tough. I think the midfield of Chelsea would definitely complement them very well. The ability for them to progress the ball so easily and control the yeah. ball so easily will give him it'll give him the ball more than enough times than he needs it. You know, I'm not, it's not going to be like, you know, starving at the wing like he would under like Jose Mourinho or something like that. You know, he's going to get the ball. He's going to get chances. Um, with Tammy at center forward, I think that would work fine. He's a, you know, like a poacher style striker. So Sancho is able to get, if he gets in the good spaces, Sancho's going to find him. So I think that would work really well. Uh, wingbacks. Reese James and Sancho in the same wing would be absolutely lethal, in all honesty. Yeah. They would, could, Reece James could overlap perfectly. You know, Sancho could cut in easily. So, I mean, if you're a defender, you don't know if they're going wide, inside, you know, you overlapping. It's got to be a terror to defend against. If he plays on the left, I, you know, obviously they're going to need left-back replacements. But if they don't get the right one, it could prove to be, like, you know, really um, really de- like decisive in how he plays as a player. I know just watching this year, you know, watching Christian Pulisic, the left wing, trying to play with Everson, it's like, you know, I can't even imagine how frustrating he must be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting there watching this guy, and, you know, he's making these perfect runs, and Emerson will just pass it back, or just, you know, make the easy pass. And it's, you know, you need that player that's going to put a ball over the top, or, you know, try to take on a player one-on-one, you know, trusting their trusting themselves and trust their talent. Now, I mean, if I was Emerson, I wouldn't trust my talent either. But, like, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I think if they get someone, if they get a quality left back with, you know, good foot on them, I think, you know, the left wing would be really a spot you can take advantage of. Yeah. But I think uh, a key issue with, you know, bringing in both Sancho and a new left back would be settling them both down into the squad because obviously you'd have to build the chemistry between the left, the left back and the left winger, which would be Sancho and let's say Grimaldo or Alex Tellers, who are two of the players that Chelsea fans want a lot. And then both Sancho and, say, Tellers are both going to have to um, adapt to the squad around them. So I think, you know, at the beginning, I, I find it tough to think that, you know, they're, they're going to be thriving together and the whole Chelsea squad is going to be doing really well. But 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you were talking about, on the right-hand side, I think you can create a similar dynamic to what you have with Sancho and Hakimi at Dortmund. I think you can create that with Reese James and uh, Sancho. I think, you know, when you have a player of Sancho's quality, you're not really, you know, going to be too worried if your fullback isn't, you know, putting in 100 crosses a game or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... As long as it's a, a good enough quality, not an Emerson, at least, at left-back, I think he would do well in the Chelsea setup. Yeah, that's a, I agree with that. You know, I'm just thinking about it now, you know, maybe even playing Sancho on the right might be just worth it alone to have that link with Reese James. That, you know, that's a, a something I overlooked. We were talking about it earlier. I mean, you know, sometimes players thrive best when they're around players that work around them, but not necessarily... You know the, the position on the starting on the piece of the starting eleven that they're placed in. Now, in terms of you know like like I was saying with like quality left back, I'm not necessarily meaning that you know you need a left back that's putting all these crosses and stuff. It's that I just I agree with you in the sense that they don't have to be like over like world class left back, but I think they definitely need somebody who's just not going to play it safe every time. That's like my my biggest. Even Marcus Alonso has found success this season through through that exact means. You know he's pushes forward you know he takes risks it necessarily and defensively it's suspect when he does that but if you can find that right balance of a player that's you know offensively capable but also you know defensively sound which you know everybody wants that that's the best left back you can get but for a player if you're, if you're a team like chelsea that's the player you should be getting for it's the players you need to have in your team if you want to compete yeah um, thinking about it from a, a Man United perspective as to how he would fit in, I think you spoke about how, you know, you would, he does well in the situations with a lot of space. And we've seen Man United have been a really good counter-attacking team, especially in the big games. So I think he would, he would suit well into that. The main issue that I think Sancho would have is if he did come in and he did play on the left-hand side, how much of his space would be taken up by Paul Pogba? And how much would they collide? You know, would they be able to build a relationship that could, you know, see them both thriving? Or will it be another scenario of having Sanchez and Pogba who are using up the same type of space? They're both like more creative style players, you know. And I think that you don't have, at Man United, you don't have a left back who is going to overlap and, you know, put in a cross or going to be able to link up through the overlap. I think... When you have Luke Shaw, he's really good at playing those passes inside. Uh, and I think Sancho could benefit from those, you know, getting the ball in a more central area. But then I think, you, like I said before, I think you limit Pogba there. If you move on to the right-hand side, however, I think, you, you know, wan is also good at making those interior passes. And I think when, Bru when Sancho goes out, I think Bruno can play that, you know, um, Kevin De Bruyne style by going out to the wing and, you know, almost, you know, being a winger. So I think you could get a great deal of of promise out of those three play out of those three players, you know, Bruno, Wamasaka and Sancho. The only thing is that you'd have to acclimatize Sancho to a new a new dynamic, which would be rather than having an overlapping right back, you're having the the number ten going out to the wing and you coming inside and still having to link up with the right back. Yeah, so you could definitely push him inside, like an interior forward in that sense. I think that's that's obviously that's something that would be new to him. But I think you know he's a world class player. Like he's gonna he's gonna yeah. be all right with it. Now, 
on the contrary, what if Manchester United, you know, you have those interior, you have those fullbacks that are great, like, you know, inside passers, you know, what if, what if the, you know, instead of putting Sancho inside, you know, you push him, you have him make runs in behind. As the ball goes to the inside, you know, the defense is going to commit players to that wing back, right? So if he comes up the field, the players come in, he can pass it inside, leaving some room out wide where, you know, Sancho can maybe run in behind and try to get kind of space that way. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you do that, you have to have players in the box that are willing, that are making the runs. And I think, you know, obviously, besides Paul Pogba, United don't really have that that midfielder that's going to make, that's going to, you know, make that late run into the box and going to be able to finish consistently. So I think, you know, those, your typical Juan Mata situations where he's coming in, just tucks it away really easily, makes it seem so simple. I think Sancho would benefit from having someone like that. You know, potentially Bruno could do that, but I'm not convinced yet because I haven't really seen much of Bruno doing it um, for Man United, at least in Premier League. But yeah, I mean, either way, whatever club gets Sancho is going to be benefiting from a world-class player. And I'm pretty sure that they'll find, both clubs will be able to find a way to make it work. You know, he is just that good. And the players around him, you know, at either club are good um, at the very least, you know, either being around the likes of Kovacic and, you know, Tammy Abraham, Kante, Jorginho, you know, these are these are Premier League quality players. Like, Kovacic is, in my opinion, a top five midfielder in the Premier League. And then at Man United, you have obviously Pogba, Bruno, Rashford, Martial. I think there's plenty of quality for him to be able to come around with. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, moving on to another question that was given by the throwing coach. Um, who do you think is on a better traje- trajectory? Bloody hell, English. Um, Chelsea on the Lampard or Man United on the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? What are your thoughts? Now, this is a good one because there's really not a right answer per se. So, it'd be good to talk about. And that, you know, to me... There's one, there's one thing that would put me, that would put Chelsea, but Manchester United in terms of, you know, long-term success right now. And that one thing is Roman Abramovich. That guy cannot be discounted. You know, he's, he's been doing everything he can to get back into London. He's been donating hotels. He's been donating to charity. The guys, he's on his knees. He's asking, please let me in. And if, if they let him in, it's over. Like it really is. It really might be. You know, I, I I miss you know getting this. I'm sure he misses seeing those games as well. You know, getting to be there and see the players that he's paid for. So, I like, you know, they're both squads, both manager, both managers, young and experienced. Both squads, you know, shaky, good at times, terrible at others. You know, performances in Europe, iffy. It just there's a lot of similarities in the way they've kind of approached the last season. But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, which owner do you back putting in that money in the right places to, to bring their team out of this kind of slump? Because we've seen Manchester United, they've been in the slump for, it's not like the first time, it's been a while. And they really haven't elevated themselves out of that, you know, they, they did have success winning the Europa League a couple seasons ago. But, you know, other than that, it's been a lot of kind of mediocre, you know, finishes in play. The signings lately, although the like last 
summer signings were, you know, I think really spot on. But, you know, if you, I'm not sure Mention Schneider is going to throw in, you know, $300 million. They might, but they might not put it all in the right spot, which like, that would be my biggest concern for them personally. Yeah, I think, you know, in my opinion, right now, Man United's squad is probably shaped up to be better in the future. I think if we're comparing the squads, you know, looking at the strikers, Tammy Abraham versus Martial, you're looking at, you know, just the, the Man United squad overall, you can see it has plenty of quality. Bruno, Pogba, Martial, Rashford, potentially Sancho. It's got the backup players, you know, your McTominay's, your Dan James, even your Mason Greenwoods right now at the age of 18 being a backup player. I think definitely have a lot of potential in that squad. I mean, don't get me wrong, so do Chelsea. But I think with Chelsea, a lot of what you're seeing is you really need to fix the defence. And, you know, I think apart from the right back, you need to fix the whole whole back line. You need to get two new centre-backs, a new left-back and a new goalkeeper. Um, potentially need to get uh, another striker to be able to challenge Tammy Abraham and push him further. Need to get a new right winger, whether that be Sancho or someone else. You know, there's there's ways to go in that Chelsea team, but like you say, you do have Roman Abramovich, who we know is going to invest a lot of money, especially if FFP is relaxed, as reports have been saying recently. You know, I think Chelsea can definitely catch up within you know one summer, but right now I would say Man United are probably on a better trajectory. And, you know, I think Lampard is probably a better manager overall than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But when you have the quality players, I don't think he's going to have the same issues that he's having against smaller teams, Solskjaer. And then in the big games, obviously, we've seen that he does know how to set up his team. Compared to Lampard, who really hasn't found his feet against the big teams and has struggled at times against the smaller teams. So I think right now I'd say Man United, but I mean, I think we can't even, we can't discount, you know, Ed Woodward, you know, a lot of Man United fans, a lot of people around the world will tell you that he's an absolutely crap CEO or whatever the hell his job title is. But I think that he's, he's good, you know, look at the business that he's been doing recently, being able to bring Maguire, um, Juan Bissaka, Bruno Fernandes, all to Man United, all of whom, you know, are, are top quality players. And, yeah, I think it's going to be close over the next two or three years. But I think both of them in, you know, three years' time will be challenging for the title. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a matter of what, you know, defines the question and the question, like the future. I mean, like like the near future, yeah, like, I think Manchester United definitely have a more coherent squad, a more a deeper squad. They really, you know, have an understanding of what they're going for and like a a, tra- a clear trajectory, I'd say is like the best way to define it. Whereas Chelsea's still kind of figuring out what they are. They don't really have an identity per se. You know, Lampard's been a, is a big part of that identity. And I think, you know, if you had taken, you know, this kind of aimless squad, I would put it, and, you know, put somebody else in charge who maybe wasn't as close to these players or knows them as well, you might have a different result. You know, I think, I mean, it depends on the manager. If he has someone world class, it's obviously going to be a lot different. But if you took someone at Lampard's coaching ability level, and, but it wasn't him, I think you'd really have an issue with team identity, which is, you know, you'd want the identity of your squad built on players in it, not the manager directly. So I think, I think 
while Manchester United were kind of figuring out how they wanted to play football, I think Chelsea was figuring figuring out like what are we as a team? Who what is our identity of what place? You know, are we a rapid counterattacking team? Are we, you know, sit in possession team? And a lot of people will say, you know, that's aimless on Lampard's fault and he doesn't really have a clear plan. But I, I think for personally, you know, he had a pretty unconvincing squad to work with. And I think he was really trying to make the best out of a bad situation and see what style fits his players best. And, and you know, through that, through that, he made a, it seemed a bit aimless in how he approached games and approached decisions. And there's definitely places he could have done better. But, you know, like you said, the the teams are definitely, you know, built for the future personnel-wise. And I think kind of the, all the small little kinks that come out in that will, uh, you know, relax over time. They'll ease out over time because, you know, the more time you have with each other, the better those relations are, the more coherent your squad gets, the better direction you have. You know, a clear direction gives a a good way for the owner and, you know, the uh, transfers to, like, really be able to approach specific areas you need. And um, obviously better transfers means for a better team. And I definitely yeah, wouldn't yeah. discard... Uh, sorry. I definitely wouldn't yeah. um, discount Edward where, like you said, I... Like you said, a lot of people dislike him and from Manchester's perspective. And while I know he's not been, you know, the the most uplifting of owners in the recent, in the last, you know, few years or so, I, you know, the last three or four signings he made were all people, I, all players that I saw a lot of Manchester United fans saying they wanted. And so I don't understand the complaints there. Like, these are, they wanted Bruno, they wanted Mbasaka. Maguire they wanted, maybe not for that much, but they did want him. And he, he made, you know, he put the money out to make it happen. He trusted in the board, and I know a lot of people agreed with those decisions. To me, it's not a matter of him, you know, being discounted. It's just Roman Abramovich is a whole different animal. Yeah, I mean, I think another thing is with the Chelsea squads, like you were saying, there's different types of players in there. And I think a lot of people discount how much um, or how much time you need and how much of a change you need to be able to change the players from what they were doing. So last last two managers, Conte, Sarri, two ma- almost completely different managers. You know, they've had to move from Conte's style of play to Sarri's style of play, and then Lampard's still trying to figure out what his style of play is. So I think it is a difficult period both for Lampard and for the players, because, you know, they're thinking, how do you want us to play now? I mean, we've played like this, we've played like that. And now we're just somewhere in the middle, I guess. Yeah, we saw Sarri. It took him a whole season to get his team to really play the way he wanted to. And even then, it wasn't it wasn't exactly the way he would have wanted it regardless. I think it's, you know, some some managers are great, you know, coming into a team and just looking at what they got and just making it work. You know, like look at Antonio Conte. Like he, I mean, he'll find a way to play, to play, uh, to play three at the back. You give him any team, he'll find a way to put in the three at the back. So, like, yeah. he's just, those are the kind of managers, you know, that can that thrive in a situation. Now, obviously, Lampard's never been in a situation, so you couldn't really tell what he would be personally. But, I mean, the team was very lackluster, and Lampard really had no way of knowing how they were going to play beforehand. It's a lot of new players, a lot of players that hadn't even played in the Premier League before. So, it's like, I don't necessarily fault him for 
approaching a lot of the decisions the way he did. I mean, obviously, you know, as the years as going into next season, you know, he has a higher level to sustain. You know, he's had a year with them. They've had a year with him. They, there should be improvement. There should be a clear direction. There should, I don't get me wrong on that. I don't. A lot of people out there are like, oh well, it's Frank Lampard, so he couldn't, he can't mess up. It's Frank Lampard. You know, I love the guy, but you know, at the end of the day, it's Chelsea Football Club first, Frank Lampard second. So, I, I do want to see improvement come next season. Absolutely. Um, something that just went through my head, although it is a bit off the question is what would a current Manchester United and Chelsea combined eleven in our opinions be? And I've just been writing writing a bit down and I think there would be about probably about three Chelsea players in all honesty. What do you think? Uh let me think. Definitely do you want to run through it? I'll let me think really quickly for a second. Just players on top of my head that would make it in. Uh you know Kovacic would obviously be in there. Yeah. Um. And there's no, there's no other player who clearly gets in for Chelsea. Yeah, like Reese James is iffy because Eric Bissaka is a good player. You know, yeah. he's maybe not everyone's favorite player, but he's a good, he's a quality player. And um. I mean, yeah, got, that's, that's tough. Got Reece James, Pulisic, and Kovacic. Yeah, Pulisic and the rest are just United players. Wait, you got a uh, Dean Henderson in goal, right? Yeah, so I've got Henderson, <laughs> Reese James, Maguire, Bailly, Luke Shaw, Kovacic, Pogba, Pulisic, Bruno, Rashford, and Martial. Yeah, that's just how it is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <Can't>... <laughs> I'm trying to think of who I can throw in there, but no one's really... I mean, unless you want to put Hudson Odoi at right wing, but it doesn't really make much of a difference. Yeah, not really. I mean, you could throw, like... I mean, Ngolo Kante is probably good enough. Like, if he was on Manchester United, he would play for Manchester United. But in a combined 11, it's a little tough. Nah, because I think you'd either have to go with Kovacic or Kante. And I think you'd take Kovacic. Because you're definitely not putting Kante over Pogba. I can tell you that as a fact. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I, I mean, in a combined 11, I think you'd definitely keep Kovacic. I'm more or less I'm saying, like, you know, Kante played for Man U. He would definitely play there. So it's like, he's good enough to start for a combined team between them. But not necessarily functionality-wise of the team that we've made here. Yeah. Damn, I miss watching Kovacic's press resistance every week. Uh, I miss watching Bruno Fernandes playing those passes <laughs> in behind. We need football back as soon as possible. I mean, we've got the Bundesliga coming back soon. What? Give it another, uh, another three weeks, I think. Yeah, hopefully that turns out to be true. I mean, at this point, nothing's set in stone. You know, they, everything changed. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yeah. hype it up yet until I know, until I know for sure, because it's gonna get me excited and let me down. Yeah, I mean, we've also got. I think oh, I was reading the figures. I think Spain are now at their lowest um, number of deaths in a day. Germany will are way past their peak. I think um, England by itself are past the peak. The peak was on Saturday for England last week. I think the US has probably still got a, a way to go in terms of this, this COVID-19 stuff. But I think, you know, what, I, what I've been seeing is that we might be able to get football back by late May for the for the most of Europe. I mean, 
Hey, if, if the Bundesliga are saying that they can get it back before, please just bring it. I'll watch anything. Give me a Friday night game between the two bottom of the league teams. I really couldn't care less. I'm, I'm really hoping that. I know, I was looking at the fixtures, and I'll bring them up right now because I don't want to get the names wrong. But um, the last game week, I think, that they, uh, that they had to cancel, like the most latest one, was actually between two of the bottom like five teams or something like that. And I was thinking to myself, like, it would be absolutely hilarious if they just threw that, like, that became the most watched game in, like, football history. Imagine, in a hundred years' time, I uh, think it was Fortuna, Fortuna versus Paderborn, so... Man, imagine... That would be absolutely nuts. A hundred years from now, our grandchildren, you know, why was Fortuna Dusseldorf versus Paderborn the most watched game um, of your era? You know, there was a little thing called COVID-19, <laughs> and it yep, ruined the world... So. And then football came back. What a story that would be. It'd be a great, it'd be like a great pub, pub quiz question. Like no one ever gets that right. Yeah. Oh, well, surely it's like some Champions League final, World Cup. No. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> Just some random game. Mid-season league fixture between the bottom, between the bottom three teams. That would actually be incredible. Um, all right. So another question we have here from United Datspa is if no more football were to be played for the year, who would win the Ballon d'Or? So, I'll let you start. Who do you think? Hmm. It's, it's pretty... It, it's tough in a sense that, you know, you don't, there's no sense of kind of a completeness to anyone's seasons. Yeah. So it's like, you know, yeah, they are world-class, but, like, what if... I know in the past, you know, we've seen these players have world-class seasons, but if they don't win anything, then it doesn't mean that they don't ever win the trophy. So it's like, you know, I'm looking at Kevin De Bruyne, eight goals, 16 assists. Like, that's sensational. Like, if, if Manchester City, you know, won the Premier League, he'd get PFA Player of the Year and be up for a Ballon d'Or probably. But then, but, but Manchester City didn't win the Premier League. So it's like, does that make his season all of a sudden? I, I don't know. The whole concept's iffy itself, but I would say... For me personally, some good shouts would be, you know, Kevin De Bruyne. I think Sadio Mane had a sensational season, and he would actually did lead his team to, you know, uh, quote unquote trophy season. Not yet, but potentially would have been. Um, can't discount what Cristiano's done at Juventus. He's been absolutely fantastic since kind of his slower season last year that people kind of discounted. And I mean, uh. Those are kind of three players that I would kind of highlight for. Is there anyone you think I might have looked over? Yeah. Um, I'm sure probably, there's a few. Probably just just the main man, Marcus, has to be up there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, being absolutely incredible, I, th- I think. Um, you know, possibly Juro Mobile, but obviously not really going to win anything, is he? Um, I don't know. You, you you can put you can make a case for putting Lewandowski up there. You've obviously got your your Messi and Ronaldo, Neymar, who I would say is the best player in the world right now. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not really anyone that's clear at the top. I think like we've always had this Ronaldo Messi dynamic, which we knew one of them was going to win it. But I think now it's a lot more fuzzed around, and yeah, I mean. There are plenty of players that could win it. Yeah, I think it's definitely open to like interpretation, like the way you said fuzzed out. Like 
it's so the trophy itself is so divisive you know it draws like people you know bring up all their you know agendas and fake stats and fake figures and all that crap to you know promote you know their favorite player or whatever but it's you know i don't know it's tough because these these there's so many players that create seasons you know you could have like a 30 goal season but you know you came in second so you don't get it you don't get a trophy like, it's so i mean we all know it's like you know it's voted by uh whatever journalists and ex-players yeah. and of that sort so it's, and the stupid people it's all you know bullshit anyway so yeah but it, it does reflect you know who's had a great season maybe not who's had the best season but who's had a, a great season so i mean if we're being honest it probably would have just been cristiano would have probably just won it like they would have just He's had a good season. He's had a better season than Messi, I'd say. And then that's all. You know, if if one of them is better than each other, they can guarantee a trophy. Besides that, one year Luka Modric decided that that's not what he's gonna wanted to do. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely open to interpretation. Uh, just been looking at a couple of things here. The fact that you know Kevin De Bruyne has been outperforming his expected assists by a crazy amount. I think he's what's that about five? Wow, that that's a bit insane for me. Um, let me just check quickly who else, if anyone else has outperformed by that much. He might have. Oh, he was on pace to break the record too, wasn't he? Yes, I think he would have definitely. This is like the so this is the third or fourth time I've, we've seen a player get like so close to breaking the record and then something stops them. Whether it's you know Olivier Giroud or uh, if it's Josie Mourinho's coaching style and now we have a pandemic. <laughs> um, oh bloody hell! Feel sorry for Raheem Sterling. <laughs> He's underperforming versus expected goals by two point seven nine, and underperforming against his expected assists by five. And it's crazy. He still has like he still has like more than t- like ten plus goals. Like how does that even? Yeah, that just shows how much that city team just scores goals. Like they just score goals for fun. Yeah, I mean, who's top top three for expected goals is Salah, Firmino, and Rashford. I mean, that in itself, obviously, Rashford propaganda here. Um, <laughs> I know, but I'm going to see about Firmino here. A Man United player playing in a, a, a more or less dysfunctional system on the left hand side without his main striker being in the top. Three. Free tells you a lot, and then top three for actual goals goal scored: Vardy, Aubameyang, Salah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I just like looking at expected goals and expected assists. Tells tells you quite a bit. Yeah, I know you're definitely into that kind of that stat making and stuff like that. I definitely respect that because there's a lot of a lot of thought that goes into it that I probably wouldn't have the, you know, the knowledge to to make use of. But I think it's like, you know, some of the stuff like you've been saying, like that's. That's crazy. That's like you know, Rashford's that high up, given the circumstances. But it's also like I find interesting, you know, like Jimmy Vardy ranks like pretty good in both categories. Like I remember you putting that tweet out a while ago about you know like the most clinical players, and like he was definitely yeah. one of them. And it, it, it yeah. really shows. Like he just, the guy just does not miss. I mean, compared to Firmino, bloody hell, he's shambolic in front of goal, to say the least. Yeah, maybe they, I don't know. What's he doing? I, mean, I don't. I don't understand. Like, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know. He's so like obviously he's a big part of 
the functionality of Liverpool now. You can argue someone else could do it better, whatever you want, but like he's there now and they succeed yeah. because he's there. Like I think that's that's pretty clear. But it's amazing that you know Salah can have like fifteen goals, Mane can have fifteen goals, and he has like I don't even know what he has this season. It can't be that high. Um, it's gotta be like six or it's gotta be like under ten. So I mean I he does get a lot of assists, I know that. But it's weird. It's a weird dynamic because you think the forward be the one. I mean, that's club system, I suppose. So, I'm, and it, it's successful. So, who am I to say it's, you know, anything, anything against what should be done? But it is even if he had not a lot of goals, it's crazy that his expected goals are so high. That's yeah. that's kind of where I'm thinking. Like, it's not necessarily if he had, you know, nine goals scored, but his, you know, he's underperformed by like one goal, maybe like half a goal, something like that. You're like, okay, like that's, that's really good forward, but he's second in the league. I can't, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, he's got an expected goal on FREF, which uses stat bombs data. His expected goals is 12.3 and his actual goals is eight. I mean, that's, I mean, his expected assist is 4.9 and he's got seven assists. I mean, it pretty much shows he's, you know, playing in a quality system. But if you look at him specifically as a player by himself, I mean, obviously, that's not a very good analysis. You, you'd have to consider a player within the system and, like you said, how they impact the functionality. But if you do look at just him, I think it's hard to justify him being anything other than a very good player or... A, a good to great player. Yeah, I mean he's a, he's a he's a defensive striker. What do you want from him, right? What do you want? Yeah, he's just he's a defensive striker. So obviously, I, like I said, I don't the goal scored eight. That's that's you know on pace with like some good players, you know. But if the expected goals is that high and his goal score is that low, then that's that's where an issue definitely comes into play there. Um, so moving on to some of the last questions, uh, who do you think will be in the next batch of Europe's super managers? So this is coming from the wingfielder, um, someone that we both know. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Like who's going to be, you know, the next two to five managers that are going to be the best in the world? Yeah. Well, we know, you know, Marco Rose, Julian Nagelsmann, both have been making a strong name for themselves the last season or two, especially on uh, you know, Tactico Twitter accounts. They're in love with them. So I, I mean, like, I don't know personally. I, I don't haven't watched them that much. I you know I've seen, you know, some of the games in Europe and some games here and there, but like, I, I definitely see the appeal of them. I definitely, you know, they really play. I wouldn't say you know a different style, but it's definitely a unique style, like their own. I, I think, and they've had the track record to prove it. You know, they've been pretty successful. They've been really successful in uh, breeding player development, which is like, to me, it's one of those important things as a coach. If you can't make your players better, then what are you doing there? So that those two would definitely uh, come out for me. Some of the some of the better ones. I'm not. I know everyone is kind of on the Arteta train. I wouldn't sure I'd call him a super like an elite manager of the future, but it'll definitely be interesting to see how he sets his team up next season and where he goes. Uh, 
and yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've got my top three down in no particular order as Nagelsmann, Rose, and the Zerbi, the current Sassuolo manager. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, obviously, obviously, you'll know that I've been watching them quite a bit with um, Matt. I think, you know, he's he's renovated the way that Sassuolo have played. You know, it's not like he plays like most other managers as well. We know that. So, obviously, in the build-up, we know a lot of managers prefer to either play with a diamond out of the build-up. You might have seen a couple of Craig Money's, um some of his his diagrams that he's annotated. Um, some like to build up in a diamond, some just have a straight up three at the back to build out of. But one thing that I find interesting about the Zerbi is how he prioritizes building out from the back using his fullbacks deeper. So usually his fullbacks are in line with the center backs, which is really interesting. And the way that they will help with build up is get the ball out wide, the ball goes into the wingers who usually will come deep. And then depending on whether the winger has pressure on him, whether he's allowed to turn, the ball will either go inside or he can turn and start getting at the, the opposing fullback. I think that's something that we don't really see much from from many managers right now. Yeah, I remember I remember um Matt's video. I think it was Matt's video, highlighting uh that exact sequence, like the build ups, difference in build ups. Or um yeah, so that was now now I'm thinking back to it, you know, that could possibly be a way to to link players like Aaron Wambasaka and Jaden Sancho, like you were saying yeah. earlier, that inside pass, distribute it wide, go to back to the middle, depending on the circumstances. Hey, I, I, <laughs> bring bring me the Zerbi to Man United, and I will be as happy as a man can be. That would be crazy. Man, that link up would be insane. Luke Shaw and Wambasaka being able to play those passes in mind. Not that deal. I need a. I need my my own super manager though. You got uh, what is it? The American Jesse Marsh. He's at a what is it? Uh, Leipzig in Austria. Salzburg, yeah. yeah. RB Salzburg. Salzburg. So. Yeah. Um. He 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 was doing all right. He's it's interesting. He's not. I mean, his team's not that great, so it's like whatever. And he lost his best player, so it's upsetting. But I was a little I more think... promising. I think he was promising before. The early at the beginning of the season than I am now. Yeah, I think there are there are quite a few young managers. Um, I mean below the the super manager bracket, as in the the good to very good bracket, I think you could see other managers getting in there. Potentially Eddie Howe at Bournemouth. I know a lot of people don't really like him. I personally think he's he's a good coach and he's a great man manager. Um, I've watched a couple videos that Bournemouth put out from their pre-season training of him actually coaching the players and a full coaching session. I think I, I really liked the way that he approached the session. Um, it wasn't it wasn't too structured and it was a bit more free-flowing. Also, the way that he spoke to his players was more of a, you know, I'm here, I'm teaching you, but I'm not necessarily like just going to look down at you and be very angry if you don't do what I say. And, you know, some people might not like that. Some people might not like the fact that he's not harsh like a Jose Mourinho. He's not very tactical like a Pep Guardiola. But I think he, he's definitely got his positives. And, do you think, do you think you know, there's an issue with that, though? Because, you know, his team's obviously had, like, a horrible season. So, like, do you think 
maybe his less emphasis on, you know, strong tactics and, you know, strong discipline has, like, I mean, obviously we don't know what happens behind closed doors, but I, I can understand you admiring that part of his game for sure, the man management style. But, you know, would, does his, like, you know, league play this season kind of discount that at all? Like, should it, I mean, I think it should discount it a little bit in the sense that they haven't really performed well in almost any game. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was trying to look for how many points they've had in the last few seasons. Oh, the last few seasons. Well, I remember their their first season was fantastic. Yeah, was their first season was really good. I remember people, Eddie Howe was getting all these talks, you know, oh, he's going to go to Everton, go to Manchester United, something crazy like that. But it, it's, you know, I mean, obviously his team's not great. So it's like... Yeah, he's had injuries this season as well. I know, I'm so mad uh, Brooks didn't get to play this season. He was a player I really like to watch play. He's yeah. so good on the ball, but it was not meant to be. So that's unfortunate. Um, Yeah, I mean, they've not been too good. 27 points this season, uh, 29 matches played. You know, th- yeah, they've not been good this season. But I think when you've got a squad like his a couple of inconsistencies do start to rise. And I think especially as a long-term manager in a mid-table to relegation zone team, I think he was always going to struggle with constantly motivating his players, no matter his approach. And I think, you know, if you're if you're going to be a, a tactical manager, you know, focusing almost purely on tactics, then I think, you know, you're going to end up where, where Norwich are. And where Norwich are is not a very good scenario because they are six points away from 17th place Watford and 18th place Bournemouth. I mean, they've just been completely naive. But yeah, I think give Eddie Howe a better team. And I think you would see him do much better than he has been doing this season. I mean, obviously there's, there's your Arteta's, potentially your Pochettino's if you want to include him in that you know, next batch. Uh, he, he's somewhere in the middle between the current and the next batch. But yeah, I mean, hey, when we, we've had a generation of managers, including Wenger, um, Alex Ferguson, Pep Guardiola, just to name a few, I think it's always going to be tough for the next set to, to match that. And we have got our, our next batch of super managers in the Nagelsmann, the Rolls, in my opinion, the Zerbi. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how managers develop and how much they'll be influenced by the current set of world-dominating managers such as Klopp and Pep. It's crazy to me too that you know when when those when the you know the current top managers now are coming up they, like compared to now you know the games evolved enormously. I'm sure you know when Wenger come up as a coach, there's no way the amount of data available, the amount of research on opponents, the amount of tactics involved were even remotely similar to, to nowadays. Like, so I, with, you know, technolo- technological improvements in, you know, statistics and tracking and opponents and matching up and simulations and all that kind of stuff, like this, this next batch is going to have you a whole different breed. You know, you might, I feel like you're going to see a lot more managers who are maybe less, less, you know, like player coaches, they're gonna be more, you know, tactics coaches, like we were saying. Like 
there's going to be a way greater emphasis on, like, is this guy smart enough to figure out what he needs to do in a situation rather than, you know, can he keep his team happy? Because, you know, like, if you had a good team 10, 15 years ago, if you had a good team, as long as you had a manager that, you know, as long as you had a manager that knew how to keep his players happy and keep motivated, that's all you needed. That was really kind of the bottom line. That's what you needed. But now, it's like you got all kinds of crazy stuff going on. You need to have somebody who can adapt to any scenario, fluid formations. You got managers who need to, you know, look at all the statistics, you know, make, make, they're making decisions that managers 10 years ago never even could consider or even think about. So I think that's like a huge deal in sense of the, the next batch is going to be a lot different personalities and different kinds of people, I think, than the, you know, the older generation have been. Yeah. Um, so to end of this episode, earlier today I put out a tweet asking my followers who their favorite of each position basically was. So who their favorite goalkeeper, who their f- favorite defender, midfielder and tackle was. Um, for anyone that hasn't seen it, mine was um, Vlakadimos Odisej, the Benfica goalkeeper, Laporte, the Man City centre-back, and then Thiago Bayern Munich as my favorite midfielder and Rashford as my favorite tackle. Um, just to end of the episode, what do you think, SF? For who are your favorite? You know, for each four crat- for the four categories. I'm gonna start with forward because one, I mean, obviously, Lavet and Hazard is one of my favorite players. But in terms of like player style, uh, Mares is like my dream forward. Like he's the perfect archetype. I, I really love watching him play. You know, you he goes against you. He can beat you inside. He can beat you outside. He can cross it with his left, cross it with his right, shoot in his right, cut in his like it's. It's ridiculous. Like you just can't defend the guy. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's absolutely uh crazy <laughs> to me how good he is. Uh, in terms of midfielders, currently I'd probably go with Kovacic. Just watching him play is just so relaxing to like. It's it's been a long time at Chelsea since when a player has the ball, you feel at ease. That's very far and few between that a player has the ball and you're not instantly worried. It's kind of been more than a few times. Cough, Rudiger, cough. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, but yeah, he's definitely been someone. I just watching him play's been a joy. Watching him develop's been a joy, and he's one of my favorite players right now. Uh, defensive wise, I'm gonna go with my countryman Sergio Dest. He's someone I really like to watch play. He's 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 one thing I like about him a lot. He's determined. He kind of he's in, he doesn't really um, expect a lot. Like he kind of he goes and if he wants something he gets it. You know if he wants that to win that tackle like he's gonna win it. And I've seen in a lot of different matches uh, for the U.S. men's national team anyway where he he's really you know determined in his play style. He really uh, he likes a challenge. He likes he likes to initiate contact, initiate you know. Sometimes initiate more than contact and yeah, you know, start some start some controversy on the pitch. But that's the kind of player I like. I like players that aren't afraid to, you know, get a little dirty sometimes. Proper shit house three. Exactly. That's what you need. That's what America's known for. He's carrying he's carrying our flag in uh the best way possible. In terms of goalkeeper, uh there's no one I really like identify with a ton. I think I just when I put I put Ter Stegen as my best goalkeeper in the world right now, which I, you know, there's a lot of other goalies out there that are great. Alisson, Oblak, fantastic keepers. And, uh, Ter Stegen there to me, one thing I admire the most is he makes 
saves look effortless, which is, I think, a, lot of, a lot of huge reason why people don't, you know, necessarily think of him when they think of your elite keepers, is that you, if you watch, like, a highlight or you watch, you know, a regular Barcelona game, the saves he makes don't look that impressive. Yeah. All, his, his positioning is ridiculous, you know. If you watch some of these games, it's like, he's always in the right place. And I think that's such a huge advantage to any to any keeper is like you know who needs great reflexes when you're already there <laughs> you know it's like that that to me is one of the most uh you know admirable traits of the goalkeeper and i definitely uh i definitely envy that of him he's a fantastic player yeah um and on that bombshell is time to no i'm not gonna get copyrighted for this episode that's nothing um top gear reference if you didn't know <laughs> UK uh, Top Gear, the old, good old Jeremy Clarkson, Richard oh. Hammond, James May. <laughs> I've only good seen old comedians. Uh, American one, unfortunately. Uh, you need to you need to go watch a couple episodes of the UK one, not the current UK one. It's shambolic right now. <laughs> good, good old one. I'll have to. every night. Yeah. Um. Thank you for coming on. You know, today for the podcast. I know it's a relatively new podcast, and obviously not knowing too much about what you're going to expect about this. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, dude, I had a, a great time. It was fun. I'd definitely be interested in doing it again, and I'm excited for your, uh, your next few episodes to come out as well. Yeah, um, should be coming out in the next 20 minutes or so. But yeah, um, I think that's all we've got time for today. So thank you, everyone, that's been listening to this podcast. You know, I obviously really appreciate it you taking time out of your day to listen to this and hopefully I'll see you next time. Have a good day.